I can neither confirm nor deny that this is a terrible conversation to be having. And welcome back to another episode of Exposing Ourselves. I'm Travis Ritchie, and this is episode 24. This is the show where we expose each other to new things. Matt, a big music fan, will assign me one of his favorite albums or playlists to listen to each week, and I, a movie buff, will give him one of my favorite films, and we together... We... Well, that was awful. And we come together... Oh, no! Oh, no! This is going off the rails so so soon we come together on this podcast to discuss it all and with me as always is my good friend matt runquist travis travis that was a total total mess <laughs> but i loved it uh this week i watched kingsman the secret service and you listened to the classic interpol album antics I absolutely did. I also uh, rewatched Kingsman 2 to be reacquainted with that. Oof, wow, that was bad. 24, uh, this podcast is going to be uh, recorded in real time. Oh, yeah, definitely. 24, <laughs> real time. All good. All good. We're, we're on it. We're on top of it. I've had caffeine. Exactly. You've had Huel. I do. I, maybe, maybe I need a little more caffeine, and that's the problem with me. I've only had two cups of coffee today, and they were both half caffeine coffees so i am a total caffeine hound in the sense that i i have made myself i've inured myself almost completely to the effects of caffeine i can drink a i can drink an entire pot of coffee and not be buzzing off the rooftops i can have caffeine right before bed it's it's all it has no effect on me which is which is bad right objectively but it's good for me because I like coffee. Yeah, I mean, there there is some there's some science apparently out there that shows that says coffee is good for you, but whether or not caffeine is a part of that or it's just other elements in the coffee, uh, I don't know. But I used to have a very healthy caffeine addiction as well. Uh, I, especially after I got to LA and worked for Starbucks, I was drinking a pot of coffee a day. The, uh, imagine four venti cups of coffee a day, and also with all uh, I was putting a lot of sugar in it too and so uh, I realized I had a caffeine addiction because I would if I woke up if I slept in and woke up say past noon or you know whatever I would have a headache and I realized it was because of the caffeine addiction so I was like I don't like being addicted to anything so I made a conscious effort to cut down to two cups a day instead of four and then at one point, my doctor was, uh, I was talking to my doctor about my digestion, and he was like, maybe you should cut down on your caffeine. And so at the time, I was cold brewing my coffee, so I just started splitting my, I put half decaf beans in with my caffeinated mm-hmm. beans. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, I'm drinking one, the equi- I'm drinking two cups, but the equivalent of one caffeinated cup of coffee uh, okay. a day. Okay, that makes sense. I yeah. believe it. And then I allow yeah. myself, it allows, I allow myself extra if I need it, you know, and frequently I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Travis, I have so much to get into this week, so I'm not even going to wait for you to ask. My wife is doing much, much better. Recovery from surgery oh, is going very well. There were a couple more rough days after we last recorded. We are recording, by the way, on Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, happy Father's Day to you. You're you're an actual father, and I'm a, I'm a fur baby father a now. Pu- yeah, you're a puppy father. It's all good. And um, yeah, so uh, so on a health front, uh, good news there. Nothing nothing major to report. Uh, 
then I have in my neighborhood a nesting pair of red-tailed hawks only about mm. two house two houses away. It is so cool. Every morning I get to see them flying around. There are three juvenile hawks as well. So that means there are five red-tailed hawks within 100 yards of my house. It is so wow. cool, Travis. So cool. Is there something special about a red-tailed hawk? They're just particular? big and cool and they hunt things yeah. and they're they're like they're like if eagles were like a little more Charles Bronson, you know. They're <laughs> like they're like metal. I think when I was in Nashville, there was a hawk that I would see on my walks sometimes, on my hawk walk. And uh, what, But one time, I actually went, and I think this was last summer, and I got it on video. This hawk was sitting on top of a telephone pole, and this little bird started picking on it. Like, yeah. chased it off the telephone pole, and this tiny little bird was chasing a hawk through the air. And I'm like, doesn't it know it's a hawk? <laughs> like, Yeah. Well, so what happens is uh, hawks are ambush hunters, right? And so the little birds in the neighborhood sort of team up, right? And they work together to, like, let the other birds know where the hawks are. And they will uh, – in our neighborhood, it's especially uh, the crows hate the red-tailed hawks. And mm. the, the little blackbirds, the grackles, will, will absolutely – they'll dive bomb them. They'll stand a few feet away from them and be, like, really loud and, you know, trying to, trying to harass them out of the neighborhood. But because this is a nesting pair and they're raising young, they're not going anywhere. They're so, not going anywhere. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really fantastic. And then finally, on Friday night, I you this probably won't be a big deal to you, but it was a big deal to me. The classic queer punk band Pansy Division, who formed in 1991 and became kind of a, a kind of a big deal, but kind of not a big deal. But uh, San Francisco punk band. The very out themes of like super gay back in the 90s when being like super out gay was not a thing and they were groundbreaking and they were awesome and I got to see them last night in a tiny little club that held like maybe 200 people and it was really I just I absolutely loved it if you get, ever get the chance to see Pansy Division live they're a lot of fun they put on a great show Pansy and Division Pansy what a great to, name. It is a great name. It is absolutely a great name. I do name. appreciate a great name for a band. I think yeah. we talked about this back when uh, we were, uh, what was the band I was watching that I thought maybe their whole appeal was their name? Gosh. Alice in Chains. Yes, Alice in Chains. That's right. You were really into the name Alice in Chains. You were like, I wish this was a better band because I love the name. Yeah. But Pansy Division is is an even better name. I am a sucker for a pun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I love well, that. I'll I'll send you a link to my favorite song of theirs. It's called "Love, Love, Love." Really good. Everybody should check it out. It's L U V L U V L U V. Really fun. Okay. Well, so right. listeners, maybe a future episode, uh, you could assign them. It's entirely possible, but there's a lot of um, explicit uh, homoerotic themes in a lot of their music. So. Well, uh, I certainly uh, don't have the ears for that. I am personally pure as the driven snow well we are never... a we are a family podcast so as you so we? Oh. as you so gently remind me every time i accidentally drop an f-bomb on here okay okay so well I, was... I think families can be uh <laughs> maybe not that okay well we'll have to think about it <laughs> travis how was your week tell me about it you know my week was fairly uneventful and like actually uneventful, I think. I mean, I did a lot of um, 
classes at uh, my uh, my acting studio, which is the Collaborative here in L.A. And uh, it's great because they are. Uh, it's a group of actors. It's a hundred actors, and we're a nonprofit company. And it's an audition required. Uh, group, so you, in order to get in, there's a level of talent that you, that you have to achieve, and so that's nice to um, to kind of, and and I love taking classes with them because I get to see amazing actors acting in in class, and uh, so I am running for the board of our company at the moment. Uh, I just uh, we're having elections right now, so uh, I ran last year and didn't make it. So we'll see what happens this year. There are certainly a bunch of very good names running for the board so we'll see if uh, we'll see how that goes but, are you um, looking for campaign contributions uh no no, no. Okay. I, I i almost said yes but no i don't need that <laughs> uh, i i i, I want to run a clean campaign so but yeah um and then today i had a friend's uh, um baby shower that i went to which is great it's a gay couple who is having a baby through a surrogate mm-hmm. so they had a uh, they had a they had a d- egg donor and then mm-hmm. are having a surrogate carry the baby, and the mm-hmm. surrogate was at the party, um, and I got to meet her. Name uh, I don't uh, remember her name, but um, right. she was wonderful, and she was. Just, it was very interesting to see how much joy she was getting from giving this gift to somebody, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, that was a really neat experience. And um, so that's pretty much it, though. Otherwise, it's been just uh, spending time with Coco. I had a game night with some friends, and uh, very very chill. Very, awesome. very chill week. Yeah. Well, that's so. wonderful. That's really good times. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let's get into the meat. The meat of the say. episode. Let's switch yeah. things up. Let's, what did you say? Swing things up? What do you say? Shake. Shake things shake. up. Shake. Let's, let's shake, shake things, up. things up and do the movie first. The movie, the movie first. All right. Let's well, let me tell you first. about Kingsman, the Secret Service. Uh, right. This is a movie. I, last week when I was introducing it, I said it was by uh, Alex Vaughn, who is actually a person in my acting class, <laughs> my acting studio. Uh, it's actually by Matthew Vaughn uh, directed this movie. It's a, uh, it's a spy action comedy. Uh, it was put out in 2014, and it was, it was kind of inventive at the time for, being, uh, for taking the spy genre and making it more fun and it's not the first movie to turn the spy genre on its head i mean we do have movies like triple x and uh, even mission impossible uh, came along and kind of upped the stakes from what we were used to with james bond and but this movie had a visual style that was very high octane it was very um graphic in its violence like lots of people die in this movie and i and i apologize to you because i didn't actually remember how graphic it was and uh so i was watching these things going ooh 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 matthew's not going to like that uh you um, know it was gra- it was graphic but it wasn't gory so i mean it not... was graphic in a comic book kind of way yeah yeah i was i was able to and, deal with it but thank you for your concern yeah yeah uh and, and in fact it is based on a comic book or a, or a graphic novel and so that's kind of why where that comes from um and but but the thing i i think i love most about this this movie is the cast uh it stars colin firth as kind of the james bond lead spy character and colin firth has never been someone who anybody would put it like he has always been kind of the uh the 
I don't know what's the word to describe Colin Firth in his movies. Um, I don't know. Uh, unassuming, I guess, would be a good word. Like he's he's. He's the guy in Love Actually who is pining after the girl, you know? And that's a very Colin Firth kind of role. He did play, I think, in The King's Speech, which was a, which is a good dramatic role for him. But here he is kicking absolute butt as a spy. And, nice recovery. Um, yeah, you're, thank you. And he also, so he's training uh, Taron Egerton uh, to be a, a, a young spy, and it's Taron Egerton's breakout role. It also has Samuel Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson as the villain character, Michael Caine as the kind of elder statesman spy, and Mark Strong, who is just wonderful. I love Mark Strong, uh, and he is kind of the support spy, like he's the techie support guy in this movie. And uh, and he's wonderful. So um, I don't know. It has a sense of humor, and it is. Uh, I, I really like the tongue-in-cheek nature of it, but it is still a serious movie. And uh, yeah, uh, it, what's interesting is that I would have rather assigned you X Men First Class, which is another Matthew Vaughn movie, because I think it's an absolutely excellent X Men movie but you don't like superhero movies. So this is the closest thing I could get to that. And I have no idea if you if you liked it or not. So I'm curious to hear. So tell me, Matt Runquist, what do you think of Kingsman? Uh, good review, Travis. No notes. That was great. Uh, <laughs> no, I uh, I enjoyed it. I it was a your your notes on it are uh, excellent, and uh, I I think I don't have major disagreements. Um, the plot largely makes sense. Uh, it is the it ha- it suffers a little bit from that thing where the first movie of a trilogy has to introduce the world and tell a story in the world. So there's definitely some like cooking along at a at a pace that maybe doesn't serve the story real well uh, in the first half of the movie. But that's okay. Uh, I understand that. You know, um, what else? Uh, I do like the the. I mean, so the the conceit here is that they are that they started as a bunch of tailors who tailored clothing for extremely rich folks and found themselves also rich and decided to help the world by forming an independent secret service. Does that make any sense? Of course not. No, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why would you not just buy an island and go live on it, right? Um, but if you accept that premise, a lot of fun. Uh, of course, you get to see some excellent costuming as everybody is very well-dressed, seeing as how they're tailors. And uh, let's see. Yeah, a lot of fun. There is there is a nice little fake-out uh, during the training sequences. There's the appearance of several of the... Uh, students are killed during the training. And then at the end of the training, it's revealed that none of them were actually killed. We were just trying to make you believe that so that you would do your best and you would recognize how serious the situation is because you will be in a situation with a bunch of people who are, in fact, trying to kill you. Um I liked the action sequences by and large. They are 
very fast-paced, but they're put together in a way that makes it relatively easy to understand what exactly is going on, and I love that. And you know that's often a sore point for me because there's nothing I hate more than an action sequence where bodies are flying across the screen. You can't really tell who is where in the room. It's just a series of, like, dramatic shots without any sort of, like, storytelling flow. And this yeah. does not suffer from that at all. It's it's pretty pretty easy to tell what's going on. That said, that said, there is some camera work here that is very stylized in a way that I found pretty obtrusive at times. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. You know, you can, it, it's... It's the style of the movie, right? And right. so I I can forgive it that, but I didn't love it. Right. Know? It's a very it's very deliberate uh, in its frenetic, you yes. know, style. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of. I think they're what they're doing is they're actually dropping frames, so it's not like true double speed or anything, but they're just like dropping a few frames each time to to speed people up in a like a herky-jerky kind of way rather than mm. smoothly doubling their speed or or whatever um you know uh let's see what else sam jackson they also is... do things like they move the camera with the gun instead of the mm-hmm. person and yeah. so it's like it's a very interesting like new and different kind of way to look at a scene yeah yeah uh, Sam Jackson eats a lot of scenery, which is fantastic. Uh, there's there's no overacting like Sam Jackson overacting, and he's doing it very very well here. Uh, and of course, that's what you want in a in a Bond villain, which is what this is. Uh, yeah. In and I, you know, so I am going to call this out for the villain being like the same the same villain as a bunch of other movies around this time. I think Hollywood is suffering a little bit from. You know, it used to be when you wanted to have a villain, you just picked whatever ethnicity was least in favor with the U.S. government, and then you made the villain that <laughs> guy, right? And, okay. uh, you know, like, oh, well, it's the Russians, and then it's like, oh, the Russians are our friends now, it's the Arabs, and, you know, like, and, you know, I think, so Hollywood has come to terms with the fact that that is objectively bad and racist, but has not yet figured out exactly what to do to for, like, a villain and so they keep inventing these people who are like I love the earth so much that I want to kill the population right and as again as a person on a le- on the left and I think I called this out in MI4 as well um you know as a person who is on the left there's very, there's no serious dialogue on the left about hey let's let's just murder half the population that'll solve a whole bunch of problems and so it does feel it does feel a little, um, I don't know, I, like the the things that billionaires want to do in our world are don't generally involve killing uh, half the population. I mean, how many ju- billionaires for, do you know? For environmental reasons, you know, uh, the, most of the billionaires. There definitely are that, some flaws in the plan. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but again, I I don't want to read it too hard for that. I mean, I'm glad that it wasn't like, well, let's kill all the Jews or something, you know? So, like, uh, yeah, you you have to have a bad guy, and the bad guy has to want to blow up the earth. And the reason why they want to blow up the earth is fundamentally unimportant, you know? Right, right. Uh, Yeah, and it it is a comic book, you know, story. So, 
it's okay if the comic book villain has a comic book motivation, I suppose. Sure, sure. Uh, anything else? I, well, uh, I really, you know, I liked the gadgets. I thought it was very inventive uh, because, of course, you know, having, like, cool gadgetry is kind of a requirement of this type of movie. And I felt like they were uh, well-defined and differentiated from the other ones of these types of movies. There wasn't anything where I was like, well, you just stole that from Mission Impossible or you just stole mm-hmm. that from James Bond. Like, they they were clever and in keeping with the theme of the story. So I, I really liked that. Uh, Taron Edgerton was really, really good. Uh, he was believable both as like a like hoodlum. charming and... too. Charming even when he was being a hoodlum. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. There's, you know, this movie, I think, owes a debt to an awful lot of like British uh, dramas about the, you know, underclasses and uh, you know, sort of uh, waves in the direction of those movies during those early sequences when he's like a, a tough who's, you know, uh, doing bad things chav. and getting caught by the, a chav. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you for the slang. Um, yeah, and, and but he does a really good job with it where it it's believable. It's not like crazy overdone. Uh, and you believe why he is the way he is, and mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not a caricature, but it it's believable, right? Um, so I, I really yeah. liked all that, and I and I think he's believable as, you know, a spy kingsman dude, you know. So, <laughs> uh, so Taron Edgerton was really good, uh, and as was uh, Colin Firth, really loved him a lot. I did feel like Michael um Kane the, the Kane was a little um I don't know. I felt like it was using a shotgun to shoot a mouse, right? Like like the character the character is just like the classic or now classic like oh, it turns out the head of the agency is actually a double agent, right? Like that sure. that's that's a story that's been told a lot now. Sure. And, uh, you know, having Michael Caine do that felt like like a really we don't we don't need Michael Caine for this role. Oh, interesting. I, I think that if they had cast anybody other than Michael Caine, it would have been less even less satisfying, you know, because uh, Michael Caine is almost never the bad guy. And so by casting him, you give yourself a little bit more cushion against that kind of eventuality which yeah, seeing like you that said is ahead of time yeah 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 so i think that that was probably a good move and and side note how else are you going to kill a mouse you're not going to use a pistol to kill a mouse that's <laughs> too small of a too small of a caliber weapon to kill too small of an animal so i for me i think a shotgun's not a bad idea <laughs> i or, i generally try to avoid firing a shotgun indoors so i usually just invite the mouse to you go didn't outside. specify that the mouse was inside <laughs> you just said a mouse I can neither confirm nor deny that this is a terrible conversation to be having. <laughs> uh, one of the things I liked about this movie is uh, there was there was a good surprise in that. And I, and you always say, uh, spoiler alert, and I always, in my mind, I'm always thinking, you don't need to because everyone's going to assume we're going to spoil things. But it is a spoiler, I guess. Then when... Colin Firth goes to investigate this uh, church where he knows that they're going to test this weapon. 
he ends up killing everybody in this church. And they're all, and they make a point to show how despicable these people are uh, as, as, the mo- as the worst kind of Bible-thumping hate mongers uh, who are anti-Jew and anti-gay and anti-black and anti-everything. And uh, so anyway, Colin Firth dispatches them when this secret weapon is um, uh, uh, revealed to be a mind control thing that basically causes people to become hyper-violent. And then he walks out of the church and is killed by the villain. Mm -hmm. And I really liked, like, here he is. He's the hero of the story. I mean, yes, uh, Taron Edgerton's character is, is the Luke Skywalker of this story. And Colin Firth being the Obi-Wan character should die. That's fairly, also fairly rote. But it's a surprise when he does. And it's kind of... uh, because you think that Colin Firth is James Bond, mm-hmm. and he ends up not being, and he ends up kind of, you know. Yeah, he ends up being Ben Kenobi. Uh, yeah, ben that Kenobi, yeah. that scene, I I will say that scene is extremely jarring because you don't know ahead of time what exactly this thing is supposed to do. You know, you know that everybody has one, not that not everybody has one, but that a bunch of people have them. And Mm -hmm. you assume it's some kind of like way to transmit messages or, or yeah, sure. Mind control, but he doesn't, the Colin Firth's character does not have one. And so when he starts killing people willy nilly and yes, people who deserve to die, you're like, did he just, like, did he just go crazy? I, you're, you're very disoriented, or at least I and, and my wife were very disoriented when that happened because, like, it really takes – you know, you, you want to be on his side, but this is some pretty brutal stuff. and and. Right. And they're awful people, but they're still innocent people. You but know? they're still people, right? And and so you're like, what is going on? And then at the end, you do get the reveal. Yeah, he was under the control of this device, and and there now it's a way of teaching you this device can affect you even if you don't have one, as long as you're within the area of effect. And that mm-hmm. you know that makes sense, right? There's like a web of signals, basically, and. Whatever. So I, I thought that was really well done because it does it. It's surprising and it's not a story beat that you get in most of these movies like that is legitimately a new thing. So and it, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. the one like really, truly new thing in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and and surprising that they just go ahead and kill him so quickly and unceremoniously and like you think maybe that they're going to like he's going to somehow survive it and come back at the end of the movie uh but he doesn't yeah uh, well i didn't think he was coming back. i thought they made no? it pretty clear he was dead okay. yeah <laughs> well you know it's funny because i i'm and it might be my influence of the sequels he does come back in the sequels and uh, okay. it's very it's one of the things I hate about the sequel is that mm. they bring back his character in a very like hand wavy way and I'm like, No, he died yeah. and you just ruined that. Yeah, I, I mean I would say this movie plays very fair, right? Like yeah. you know, when something happens on screen, they're not there's not a big fake out and there's not a oh actually that was my body double or that was a guy wearing a mask or that was a you know, it's yeah, that, right. Or that the happens. bullet glanced off my skull instead of yeah. Or I was wearing the Bi- I was wearing the Bible that I stole from the bad guy, and and that blocked the bullet or whatever. Right? Like yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, there's another thing that I liked that was fairly new in this movie, and that is the assistant uh, assassin character to the villain. And it's this uh, young, it's this young girl who doesn't have legs, and she is, um, and she, instead she's got these uh, prosthetic devices that are both springs and also blades, and she fights with those. And it's something yeah. I've never seen before. Yeah, that, so that's something I've never seen before. But it also, like, it, it doesn't just you didn't strain. Like it? Nah, it doesn't just strain credulity. It it sends it right out the window. I mean, there's this. There's. See, I didn't think so. I think, granted, it's a it's a very outlandish thing. But I thought they presented it in a way that seemed like it was feasible, like plausible. Like yeah. these these kind of prosthetics do exist in a way. I don't know uh, that outlandish and probable. Really, there's not a whole lot of overlap between those two. Like it, it's it felt pretty outlandish to me. But I, but I did it like it didn't bother me or whatever. I was like, oh, this is the character that has the weird weapon. You didn't even right? think it was cool. Nah, not really. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I thought it was cool. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good pair of high heels, but it was it was not clear like. You know, it was like they're either high heels or they're kangaroo boots or they're scimitars or they're like it was just like whatever it needed to be in the moment. That's what it was. And it just happened to be that. And it just happened to work great. And, you know, like it was it was just it was a lot. Right. I just felt like it was a lot. So anyways. All right. All right. Fair enough. Well, what did you think uh, as far as rating? What do you want to give it? I this is another one that I really liked. Uh, gosh, I'm I'm bouncing back and forth between an eight and a nine here. It's definitely not a ten for me. There there was a lot of the visual stuff was a lot for me. Um, I think it's a nine. It's a nine for me. Yeah, I liked wow. it a lot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's uh, that surprises the heck out of me. I'm so glad to hear it. Uh, I. You know what? I was thinking an eight, but I'm going to go ahead and jump on the nine train. I'll give it a nine, too, because I do. I liked watching this movie. There's really no flaws that weren't intentional. Uh, Everything that is everything that everything that is in this movie is meant to be there. Everything from the style of special effects to the cheesiness of characters like the like the assassin woman. uh, All of that is absolutely intentional. And there's a lot of it that is just cool and uh, and I appreciate that. I even love the there's a lot of um uh symmetry in the movie with the uh, with the bar fight scene at mm-hmm. the beginning versus the bar fight scene kind of at the end and I yeah. I like all that. So, yeah, I'll I'll give it a 9 yeah. too. Yay. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> well, uh great let's talk about music go let's talk about music so what did i oh right uh no interpol is a band that came out of the new york city uh indie rock scene in the early 2000s their first album turn on the bright lights was a pretty big underground hit it got a 10.0 from pitchfork.com which is the sort of arbiter of taste in the early 2000s when it comes to this style of music. And that is a very unusual rating. There are very few albums that get that rating every year. I think they even sometimes go an entire year without giving out a 10.0. So it was kind of a big deal. And I really like that album. But I think this album, their second album, is even more accessible, has some minor radio hits on it. 
And I really love this album. My favorite song on it is one of the big hits. It's called Slow Hands. I think it's number five. I forgot to put it first for you. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but uh, let's see. A lot of interlocking guitars. They use um, eighth note strumming a lot, like da 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 right? Uh, and it has a very propulsive force to it that I really love. Uh, I like the lyrics, but I don't listen to this music for the lyrics. I listen to this music to dance around and to be sort of body moving, you know? Mm. Okay. Uh, what'd you think? Okay. Uh, so I, uh, I, I didn't love this album. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, I, I want to articulate why, and I will, while I think about that, give you my roommate's review. He has, my roommate Dave just moved in, um, a few weeks ago and he has an extensive album collection, like vinyl collection. And, uh, so you and he, you and he might have a lot to talk about, but, I asked him, I said, just randomly, I, uh, I said, uh, hey, do you know Interpol? And he goes, and he starts digging through his albums. I was like, you don't need to show me your copy of their album. Just, just yes or no. I just wanted to know if you knew them. And, uh, and he pulls out his stack of Interpol albums. And uh, he said, and I said, well, he said, what are you listening to? I said, I I'm listening to Antics. And he goes, oh, if you were depressed in an all-male Catholic high school in 2007, this was your album. And I think, I think that, that probably tracks very well. I am not super into this emo rock type music that is fairly indicative of the early 2000s and probably probably the 90s to an extent too, maybe the late 90s. And um, one of the things that I, I, I really had trouble with with this album was the mixing of the lyrics, right? I, I had a hard time understanding what they were saying. So a mm -hmm. lot of a lot of it sounded to me like <laughs> and I'm like I don't I don't what I don't understand. And what's more is that uh so what you just said about having it on and dancing around the room, that I can understand and I can kind of see it because the the beat and the rhythm of the music is something I can definitely get behind. But as you know, I like to play these when I'm on my walks and uh, I listen to them on headphones. And there were moments not only that I couldn't understand, well, I mean, universally couldn't really understand the lyrics, but also, which is frustrating for me because they're there and they're there to be understood. And the singing isn't really great. It's, it's mostly, you know, it's... It's not great singing, so at least let me know what you're saying. Um, <laughs> but, but more of a problem is that there were actually parts of the songs that hurt my ears to listen to. So I had to turn it way down so that the... And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the guitar work or, the, or, or, or what, but some of it was, um, was actually painful you know, to my ears. Oh, no. And, that was that was rough. That was rough. I almost did not listen to it a second time, mm -hmm. but I did, and I will give it this much: it gained a point yeah. in the second listening, 
mm-hmm. but from where like from from what was the, what was it before it gained that point i don't know yeah i don't know well what you should really do is have dave sit you down and listen to it on a stereo system cuz presumably dave has one of those uh yeah but it's not a great stereo system it's a very mm-hmm. cheap turntable and uh very cheap speakers uh, well, I think that's probably still better than AirPods uh, for something like this. But anyways, yeah, um, I, you know, I think the, certainly I, I suspected you would struggle a little bit with this album because I knew about the lyric problem. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I may I maybe know half of their lyrics, right? I do a lot of fine and we slow hand. I do know the melodies, right? But I just yeah. kind of, you know, I just kind of like fake the the consonants and i know the vowel sounds and right um <laughs> yeah y- you know uh but i like it right i like the i like the melodies and i really like the interplay between the bass and the guitar uh they're they're do a lot of just sort of interesting movement and forward propulsive action that i really really dig um yeah, if you were depressed. You know, I was not depressed in a boys' high school in uh, 2007. I was actually, uh, I had just moved to Wisconsin uh, from the Southwest, and mm-hmm. I was reaching the end of my first marriage. And mm-hmm. uh, so I might I might have been lightly depressed, that actually, kind of now tracks. that I think about it. That, kind of, that does kind of track a little bit, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I really dig them. Um, I can certainly understand why this would not be your favorite thing ever. My guess, if I had to guess what was hurting your ears, I would guess it was the high frequencies from the guitar. It, it probably was, uh, I think, yeah. This is very yeah. guitar-forward music. Uh, I listened to this this week again, as I also try to do every Good. week. And one thing that really stood out to me was the production on it. Um, because because I've been writing and recording and you know listening more closely to the parts of music than I used to do mm-hmm. around the time that I was listening to this album, I heard a lot of things that I hadn't heard before, just in, you know, and nothing like major, but just like little grace notes and little extra bits added, little effects mm. added on to some of the things. I listened on these over-the-ear headphones that I'm wearing, and you can really hear a lot of detailed sound that sort of escapes into the into the ether when you're listening on earbuds or uh, or even on a stereo in a room that's not you know acoustically treated. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I I enjoyed listening to it again, and it that is, added to the experience for you. Yeah, absolutely, that Great. added to the experience for me. Um, I you know. I, I enjoyed going back to it. This is probably one of my 40 or so favorite albums. Um, you know, I, although I honestly, okay. it would be a co- it would be a coin flip for me whether uh, whether this one or Turn on the Bright Lights is my favorite. Like I kind of think of them as one album because of the two albums of theirs that I have like played over and over and over again. And so, uh-huh. yeah. nice. All right. Well, what's your rating? Oh, Antics? My rating for Antics is a nine. Absolutely. I, I, I love this album. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm, um, like I said, it did gain a point on, on, my re- on my second listen, 
but I think it was pretty low going into that. I'm going to give it a, uh, and this is just for me, I think it's probably a, f I'll give it a four because I think that it might be something I could listen to on the, in the background, but even, even the style of music just isn't my bag. Okay. You know, uh, this is... I, I definitely want to give credit for the, t for the talent that is there and in, in, in respect to your love uh, <laughs> of that, I might have given otherwise a lower rating. <laughs> I was going to say, I was pretty sure there was a three coming down the pike there. But, um, you know, it's interesting because I do I do have your music for next week picked out. And it's not terribly different from this, but I think the ways in which it is different might find you adding uh, several points to your score. So should okay, we get into okay. that? Do you oh, think? interesting. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, this gives me an idea of what to give you, too. Oh, okay. So next week, we have uh, an album from Tegan and Sarah. Do you know Tegan and Sarah? No, no. Okay. Is so, it a band like, or is it actually two people named Tegan and Sarah? It is two sisters named Tegan and Sarah. Yep. So you may not think you know Tegan and Sarah, but they did the song Everything is Awesome from the Lego movie. I love Everything is Awesome. Everybody loves Everything is Awesome. Yes, it's a great song. It's not super duper indicative of this album. Uh, they've gone oh, okay. sort of a more of a dance pop direction, and uh, their um, uh, more recent albums are very much in the like ladies singing dance pop type of stuff. But this early album was when they were doing a lot more indie rock-based things. And I got a little worried when you were talking about the sort of early 2000s uh, indie rock guitar-based stuff. And I was like, oh gosh, is he going to hate this? But the nice thing about this is, first of all, ladies instead of gents, but also much clearer lyrics that you can understand and I think are really good. So this is an album called The Con. It is, I believe, their second full length. And it is fantastic there are so many lovely lovely songs on this that i love my favorite song on this oh god i am not sure i gotta look at the list um i was gonna say hop a plane but that's not my favorite it's just a really good one um okay back in your head I love this. I love, I have, Travis, I wish you could see my YouTube music right now because there are thumbs up on nearly every single song on this. Nice, uh, nice. But yeah, uh, that is my favorite, uh, but the, it's all good. Uh, so I, I do, like, I try not to root for the albums because I know we have different tastes in music, but I do really yeah. hope you like this album. This one, no, I'm not going to say that because it'll poison the well. Uh <laughs> Okay. I, okay. I, re I really like it. That's what I'll say. Okay. Great. Great. Well, I'm going to give you something that is, uh, it's, it's, uh, on theme in that, you know, how you said that this was similar of an album to last week's. I'm going to give you a movie that is similar to last week's. And, uh, just to say on theme, it is a movie, it's similar in so many ways. It's an action comedy it's a uh it's got samuel l jackson in it yes and it's a movie in which i like i remember liking the first one but i hated the sequel uh hated the sequel and so uh i'm going to assign you the hitman's bodyguard the hitman's bot no 
I don't think I've yeah, even I, heard I of didn't it. Think, I didn't think you probably had. It came out in 2017, and it's got uh, Ryan Reynolds opposite Samuel L. Jackson. But it's also got Gary Oldman and Salma Hayek in it. Uh, the idea is that uh, Ryan Reynolds' character has to protect um, Samuel L. Jackson, who is a hitman. Okay. So I think he's on his way to trial to testify against someone else or something like that. So, so you know, it's the hitman's bodyguard. And it's got, it takes place in, in, in Europe, so it's got a lot of, like, you know, small road action car chases and uh, using tiny little European cars. I do remember that there's a scene where they use a, a Ford C-Max, which was popular in Europe, but I also then bought a C-Max when they came to the U.S. So I was like, oh, it's my car. And um, <laughs> so I, I have seen this once in theaters and not since, so I don't really remember if it's if it holds up i remember being shocked at how much i hated the sequel when i saw it like i really didn't like it um but like i remember liking this movie quite a bit all right so um but that being said i have no uh nothing invested in in this (laughs) so at least it's not I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites. It's not a movie I've seen five times and, okay. and really want to share with you. Okay. I just think it's um, it's similar to the last week's movie in tone mm-hmm. uh, and action. And so uh, I was, and I have been really curious to revisit it. So this will give me an excuse to do that. All right, cool. Well, that sounds super duper fun. Yeah. Hey, do you know that we have an email address that people can... Uh, people can write to if they want to reach out to us? I did know that. It's exposing oh. ourselves podcast at gmail.com. It is, as a matter of fact. And also, Matt, did you know that we have a Facebook page for this I, podcast? I did know that. It's You could just search <gasps> for exposing ourselves and it pops right up. Shut the front door. That's so easy. It's so uh, easy. And did you know that we actually have a comment on our Facebook page that we have not yet addressed. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Kevin. I I feel super duper bad uh, that we don't talk about the scores more often. But uh, generally, I you know I I find scores to be unobtrusive. Uh, and the, uh, but what'd you think of the Kingsman score, Travis? Oh, you know what? I think that uh, I think the Kingsman's score was. Um serviceable yeah exactly that's exactly that's exactly what i have to say about it yeah it wasn't uh, i think that it was you know as an action movie score it was it was just fine i think that the the needle drops were a lot of fun which is uh, something that uh, matthew vaughn does well i think and um but no actually kevin kevin's question that kind of um spoke to me was about acting and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, because I had said something about how uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance in Joker was the best performance of the century mm-hmm. for me. And he said, well, what do you how do you distinguish good acting from good directing? OK. And and I think that that's a very interesting question. And I don't actually have a fully formed answer to it other than to say that it's um, that for acting. It's easy to spot a good actor because they simply you simply believe that they are who they're portraying, right? That the character that you're portraying, that they're portraying on screen is a real living person and that you believe what they're saying, right? I think the mark of a great actor is for you to know that the actor 
is portraying someone who is very different from themselves, and yet you still believe that that person is real. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Joker and that character, the it is it's a cartoon character, right? And it's always been a cartoon character. And you look at everything from Cesar Romero to uh, to Jack Nicholson to Mark Hamill to even Heath Ledger, and it's kind of it's kind of cartoony. It's a it's a broad, big performance. And I think that for for me, the thing that made Joaquin Phoenix so impressive was that that character who was so so weird and out there and different and unique felt very real uh, in a way that shocked me. So um, that's one of the things. Okay. Can I take a stab at this as well? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I don't know how to tell good acting from good directing, but I do know that good acting can't exist without good directing, right? I think you have to have a base of like the director is is doing their job pretty well before the actor you know like yeah the actor is going to do the best they can but like the the director has to put that actor in a position to succeed for the acting to shine through you know if you drop Joaquin Phoenix into a Charles Bronson film he's going to be unremarkable but that's a that's casting and um I think I will I will twist this a little bit and say that I don't necessarily agree that you can't have a good actor without a good director. I think there are plenty of just serviceable directors who get who have good performances that they manage to just point the camera at. But I do think it's possible for a bad director to make a good actor look bad well look like yeah a bad actor. yeah because we know this because the prequel the star wars prequels exist yep george yeah. lucas is a great example of that oh, and also God. uh and also uh i think that x-men 3 uh famously makes both patrick stewart and ian mckellen look like bad actors um and they are not neither of them so i, I don't know if that answers the question but that is my answer to it for now all right, cool. But if you have any thoughts, uh, please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or email us, and we'd love to hear your comments. And while you're at it, do us a huge favor and give us a rating at whatever source you are listening to this podcast on. Uh, that will help us immensely. So Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, Travis, thank you very much for exposing yourself to me again this week. Oh, I love doing it, and thank you for exposing yourself to me. I also love doing it. I will see you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.